Well, please turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. We'll be finishing, Lord willing. Just a reminder as to where we are. Remember, the book of Acts is about God's mission for his church. And in the first section of the book of Acts, we're talking about how the, the witness lays its foundation. And we're seeing some foundational things that are true of the church in the book of Acts. And they're true of the church throughout the centuries, and they're true of the church today. These are some foundational things that the church has. All, tr- all true biblical churches have these things. We've talked about how the church has a, a, a witness. The church has a message. The church has apostolic authority. The church has the, the Holy Spirit. The church has a message is what we've seen over the last few weeks. And this morning, we're talking about the response to that message that the church has. And so let me read verses 42 through 47, and if you're able to, if you'd stand with me this morning as we read God's word. So remember, Peter has just preached his message, and the people have been convicted, many have, and verse 41 tells us that those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now what do you do with all these new believers? Well, verse 42 tells us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we do just just echo the things that have already been prayed and, and sung to you this morning. We pray that we would turn our eyes to your son, Jesus. We pray that the, the things of this world, the things that we're so tempted to be devoted to, would, would pass away, would, we would turn from those things and turn instead to your son, Jesus. We pray for your Holy Spirit to enable us to be convicted by your word this morning, and then that your Holy Spirit would also enable us to be obedient to your word this morning through our faith in your son, Jesus, and we pray this in his name, amen. This passage that we're looking at this morning, I think, should be very refreshing to your souls. It's been a great passage for me to be able to meditate on this week and in previous weeks. I know that a lot of us have a lot of hard things going on, some related to the COVID-19, some not related to that. There are different family struggles you're going through, different struggles at work, maybe with some friends. Maybe some of these things are made worse by COVID-19, but certainly aren't directly related to it. Some things are. I know that for me as a, as a pastor, things have been a little bit stressful lately, and not, not, to, not to make it seem like pastors have it tougher than anyone else. We, we don't, but there are some unique, perhaps, struggles that, that pastors go through sometimes. I've been talking to other area pastors about the things that they and their church are going through, and there, there's some just stressful things, right? I mean, for one, as pastors right now, we're being called to make decisions based on information that 
we really have no ability to evaluate properly. I mean, we're taking this information, and, and we don't, we don't ha know how to really digest this information that we're receiving properly. We're not trained epidemiologists. We've watched a couple of YouTube videos and seen some Twitter posts, but that doesn't really qualify you to, to be informed enough to make decisions on the information you have sometimes. We're also, I think, struggling because we know that some of the decisions that we make, th there's a fear they, they could blow up the church. There's that, that, that stress right now, that pressure. Uh, one pastor told me, he said, you know, as a result of kind of all the things that are going on and, and kind of the, the tension between the governor and the president and the local officials, he says, our jobs have become a million times more difficult. Another pastor told me that, or kind of mentioned on social media that he was nervous about going on vacation because of things that might take place in his church while he was gone. It's, it's a tense time. One, one pastor told me that he was receiving kind of some feedback from his church. He says most of it was really positive, but, but one person just kept on talking about how great the decisions that another church was making were. These, they, they're, they're doing this right and this right, and, and we need to do this like them. He says there's just this, there's this pressure. Uh, my good friend, uh, Pastor Jason Alligood, who's, who's here with us this morning, he may have a few words for us later. I didn't tell him that, just kidding, Jason. Uh, he, he told me a few weeks ago, he said, you know, 9-11 was a crisis, but it was a crisis that brought us together. This is unique, and it's, it's, it's a crisis that, se that seems to be, be pushing us apart, potentially. It's a tough time. It's a tough time in pastoral ministry. It's a tough time in your world as well. It's a tough time for us as believers, to which I say, how exciting, right? How boring would it be to be a pastor in normal times? This is exciting. I, mean, I get to live through 2020 in pastoral ministry. This is, this is some pretty exciting stuff, and so do you. God is doing some great things in the life of his church, in the life of his people, and we get to be a part of it. Things that would not happen during boring times. We are asking ourselves, what are the most important things to us as a church? What are the things that unite us as a church? Because we're finding out there are some things that do not unite us. We do not have all the same opinion on uh, a lot of things right now. There are a lot of things that we find ourselves in, in disagreement over. And so we're asking ourselves, okay, what is it that unites us as a church, particularly our local church, Bethany Community Church, what is it that unites us? And here's the, the central idea that I want us to think about in this text. And kids, if you guys are taking notes, you can kind of write this down as kind of the thing I want us to think about from these verses as we see this response to Peter's message. Here's what I want us to see. What we are truly devoted to as a church is revealed by the fruit we produce. What we as a church are truly devoted to, those, those things that we find most essential, is going to be revealed by the fruit that our church produces. If we produce the same fruit that we see produced here in the early church in these verses, we're going to see that we're devoted to the same things that, that they were, the, the good things that God calls us to be devoted to. If we see our church producing other things, things like tension, strife, disunity, we're going to see that, that we are devoted to the wrong things. So what I want us to do is I want us to, to, first of all, talk about what we should be devoted to as a church. We see that here in verse 42. And then we're going to see what we should see in our church as a result of that to which we're devoted to. So let's first of all talk about this, verse 42. Let's talk about what we devote ourselves to 
as a church, what we devote ourselves to as a church. Here's what verse 42 says. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves, and it's going to be four things here, to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So remember the context here. This message that Peter has has been preached. 3,000 souls have responded to the gospel message. Now they've come and part of the fellowship. They're part of the church. And the question is, okay, what, what do we do now that we're a, a, a group of 3,000-plus people? What, is, what does this church look like? What do we devote ourselves to? What are we spending our time doing? And Peter says they devote themselves. They, they devote themselves to four things. Now that word devoted, let me just take a second here before we talk about the four things. What, what does that word mean? That word refers to persistence or to, to persevere in something. Luke also uses that word in chapter 6 when it talks about the elders, and the elders are, uh, they don't want to be distracted by the need to care for some physical needs, although those, although those physical needs are important. They say, okay, we have, to, we have to devote ourselves. We have to devote ourselves to teaching and to prayer. So to be devoted means, okay, I know that there are a lot of important things that I could be doing, but there are some things that I, I must be doing. That which I'm devoted to is that which I, I cannot help but do. It's the most essential thing. And I'm going to say, okay, at times, I'm going to let other good things go by the wayside in order to be focused on that which I must be devoted to. It's 7 p.m. at night. And you had wanted to this evening, you had wanted to read a book, and you had wanted to watch a TV show, and you'd wanted to play a game with the kids, and you'd wanted to get to bed at a decent time, and, and now it's, it's no longer possible to do all those things. You have to decide, okay, what is, what's most important? What am I going to choose to do? What am I going to allow to, to what, am I allow, what am I going to allow myself to not do? What am I going to choose to not get done in order to pursue that which is of most importance? And the same is true for a church, right? There are a lot of really good things that a church can do. There are a lot of great ministries that a church can engage in, but you can't engage in all of them. There are some really good ministries that churches just don't have the time to do. These four things are things that every church must devote itself to. No matter what, no matter what cultural context you find yourself in, you know, some churches are going to offer ESL classes, English as a Second Language classes. Some are going to offer Awana. Some are going to have an outreach sports program. All those things can be really good ministries, but, but not every church can do all those things. Every church must do these four things. The other thing I want you to notice about this word devoted is it has the idea of continuing, ongoing. One translation says they continued to devote themselves. They were continually devoting themselves. It's not just a fad. It's not just a tool that the church uses for a time. This is a thing that a church always does. There are going to be things that come in and out of fashion of churches, building design and, and what kind of chairs you sit in and uh, types of refreshment stations. You know, I have preferences and all those things. I'm excited about our new building. Those things go in and out of style. They're nice, but they're not essential. These things we're talking about here, these four things, you must do. At, at the cost of anything else, these four things must take place. It's devotion. Now, ultimately, of course, keep in mind, our ultimate devotion is not to, to actions, but to God. But these are actions that flow from that devotion, our relationship to him. Here are the four things. Number one, it says the, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number one, biblical 
teaching. We as a church must be devoted to biblical teaching. Instruction in in the doctrine of the church, it's integral to the life of the church, it's essential for discipleship. Jesus in Matthew 28, 19, as he's talking about the mission of the church, will say, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. It's, It's biblical teaching. And as you go through the book of Acts with me over the next few months, what are you going to see? You're going to see over and over again the church engaged in in disciple-making taking place through biblical teaching. As you look through the New Testament, an essential function of the church is to teach. Now, you may have noticed that in kind of contemporary evangelical churches, oftentimes, especially the, the North American cultural context, the importance of, of biblical teaching has, has, has waned. There's a, a lack of, of focus on the need for deep biblical teaching. In fact, you see this in, in several places, but, but listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, because the tendency is to, to downgrade teaching and say, okay, instead we just want to focus on, on what's relevant. We want to say, okay, what's, what's relevant, and we want to speak to what people find relevant. But listen to what, what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He talks about the problems that are going to exist in the, at the end times. He says the last days, which we're, we're part of. He says, in the last day, there will come times of difficulty, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people." So you have these, these people who are living these godless lives, and what does Paul tell Timothy to do? So you need to avoid that. That's what you don't want. But what's his answer? He doesn't say, okay, well, give them. He doesn't say, make your teaching relevant and find some sort of, uh, find their felt needs and speak to those, talk to them about these, these topical issues. No, this, this is what he tells them to do. He says, look, Timothy, as for you, here's what you need to st- stay focused on. Stay focused on the Word of God. Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Complete that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. And then he tells Timothy to what? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then he's going to talk about how that there's going to be a time when people will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The point is that bad doctrine a lack of right understanding about who God is and who we are and what sin is and the right response to sin and the need for God's grace, a a lack of good doctrine is going to lead to a lack of good living. Bad doctrine leads to bad living. Here's here's my pastoral encouragement. You know, there's a, as I said, there's a contemporary reluctance to pursue and prioritize sustained, deep-teaching from God's word that, that just exists in our culture, in our Christian culture. 
But sometimes when Christians say, I want my messages relevant, we don't mean what the scripture means when it talks about God's word being relevant. When we say, well, I want my messages to be relevant, what we mean is I want the sermon to speak to the things in life that I find relevant. So here are the things that I find relevant. I want scripture to speak to these things. And whenever scripture talks about itself being relevant, it says, okay, we want to, scripture wants to help me understand what God word, God's word says so I can know what is actually relevant. In other words, as we emulate the early church in our teaching, as we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching in God's word, we may find out that the things that we thought were relevant were not as important as we thought. We might, we might find out that our categories of what is important are being driven by CNN and Fox News and Instagram and Facebook and our friends, and, and what we think is relevant are, are really just a bunch of idols. And biblical teaching that just allows us to, to rearrange the idols on our shelves is not true biblical teaching. Preaching that helps us arrange idols on a shelf is of little value to our souls. Now, I'm not saying that our concerns are unimportant. What I'm saying is this. We need to devote ourselves to biblical teaching to find out what God prioritizes. Number two, we devote ourselves not just to biblical teaching, but we devote ourselves to church membership, to, to church membership. You say, hold on, Daniel, hold on, hold on. The word here is, is fellowship, <laughs> Luke uses the word fellowship. Daniel, fellowship isn't the same as church membership. In fact, the phrase church membership isn't even the Bible. What kind of games are you playing with the text? You want biblical teaching. You just talked about that. Here's, here's the word that, Paul uses, or that, that Luke uses here. He uses the word koinonia. Now, koinonia doesn't refer to just casually hanging out. And koinonia doesn't refer to just signing a piece of paper and saying I'm part of a church now doesn't mean you just sit, the, sit in the room and attend the same church week after week. Koinonia, fellowship, is a word that was used by, by contemporary authors to describe the, the, a close relationship. In fact, sometimes it was even used to describe the closeness of a covenant relationship. It, it talks about mutual obligation, shared devotion to one another. And so the, the word that Paul, is, that, sorry, the word that Luke is using here for fellowship is, is that the heart of what I mean when I talk about church membership. When I use the phrase church membership, I don't just mean going to a class and sitting down and signing a piece of paper. What I, what I mean is, is covenant relationship, fellowship with one another. Here's a definition that we use sometimes that we adapted from someone else, but church membership is a covenant of union between a particular church and a Christian a covenant that consists of the church's affirmation of the Christian's gospel profession, the church's promise, the church's promise to shepherd the Christian, and the Christian's promise together with the church, submit to its oversight and love its people. This is devoted fellowship. The third thing that the early church devotes itself is to, to holiness. It's to holiness. It says they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and this is into the breaking of bread. Now, I take that to mean, I could be wrong here, but I think the breaking of bread implies the Lord's Supper, what we call communion. We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks as we talk about holiness in the church. But just, just real quickly here, when we're talking about the Lord's Supper and holiness, what we're saying is when we gather together as a church to partake of the Lord's Supper, we are professing our continued devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're saying, okay, we are all living in a way that is still consistent with the gospel message. 
we're still asked, there's no unrepentant sin. We're not saying we're perfect, but we're saying we are continuing to recognize our need for God's grace and we're relying upon him. And we're devoted to doing that communally. So as the disciples are gathering together and partaking of the Lord's Supper, there's this continued pursuit of holiness, this continued holding one another accountable to continue to walk faithful to the profession of faith that they've made. They're devoted to that. As we partake of the Lord's Supper together this morning, we're professing our continued devotion to that. The table that we participate in is, in a sense, a closed table. We don't just open the, the, the table of communion up to, to anyone. You don't have to be a member of our church, but you do have to be a believer. You have to be a person who's not harboring unrepentant sin. You're placing your trust and your faith in Christ and manifesting that in your life. The fourth thing that we see here that the church devotes itself is to prayer, and that's something we're also going to talk about in the coming weeks, but, but prayer. There's a continual commitment to prayer throughout the book of Acts. When they appoint first the, the replacement for Judas, we see them praying. When they appoint the deacons, we're going to see them praying. When they take the first missionary journey in Acts 13, they fast, they pray, they lay hands on the disciples and send them out. As we see the church praying, we see a humbleness, we see a humility, we see a willingness to yield themselves to God's direction and recognizing only God can act. Okay, that's what the church devotes itself to. Now, what should we see in our church? As we devote ourselves to these things, what, what should take place? What should we see? Well, look at verses 43 through 47 and just talk about these here and see what we, we see the church doing. First, what we should see in our church as we devote ourselves to the biblical teaching, to, to fellowship, church membership, to, to devotion to one another, to the breaking of bread, to, to the prayers of the saints, what do we see? The first thing we see is we see, we should see a fear of God as we contemplate his mighty deeds. We should see a fear of God as we contemplate his mighty deeds. Look at verse 43. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and, si wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In other words, as we come to a church that's committed to God's word and to holiness and to worshiping God rightly, we should have a sense of awe as we gather together a sense of wonder of God as, as we see the mighty deeds that he's doing. Brothers and sisters, it is very easy as, as believers to, to come to a church and to, to, to approach God in our worship casually or flippantly. In the book of 1 Samuel, we see the sons of Eli who are worthless men. They're around the temple, they're, they're, I'm sorry, they're around the, the sacrifices. And it says that verse 12 of 1 Samuel 2, they were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. So even though they're around the sacrifices and they saw people engaged in worship all the time, they themselves didn't know the Lord. And what was the result? Verse 17 says, the sins of the young men was very great in the eye of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Brothers and sisters of Bethany community, as we come together to engage in worship of God, there should be in our midst a sense of, of fear, of holy awe before the Lord. We don't come here flippantly. We don't come here casually. We don't come here with no sense of, of the divine, as we devote ourselves to, to the things to which God calls us to, we, we see a fear of God as we see him working. If I don't see a lack of reverence, but I see a, a fear of man, there should be a question, am I devoting myself to the right thing? 
second thing. There should be a bond as we celebrate our common confession. There should be in our church a bond as we celebrate our common confession. Look what we read in verses 44 through 45. It says, and all who believe were together. They were together. And that, that word together doesn't just mean together in a, in a location geographically. There's, there's more that, that's uniting them. There's this common confession regarding Jesus Christ that unites him. It says they were together, and, and they also, number two, they had all things in common. So there's this togetherness that's taking place because of their common confession of Christ, and as they have things to, together, they also, all the things that they have are, are viewed as, as common possessions. There's this bond that unites them, and where they, which they recognize, look, you have, a, you, you have a claim on the things that I have, or, or perhaps a more appropriate way to say it is, I, I have a responsibility as part of your family, as part of your church body to, to meet your needs. And so what do they do? It says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing. They're selling and distributing. And there's this, this tense that, Peter, that Luke uses here that describes a, 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 a thing that's happened that's, that's bearing present fruit. So there's this constant, constant willingness on the part of the early church to, to do whatever it takes to meet the needs of those with whom, whom they're in relationship. If your relationships with one another are marked by division and not marked by a deep unity on those things that are most important, there's a problem. In other words, if I think about my relationship with other Christians and I'm like, well, you know what? That, you know, that, that family really annoys me because of their position on wearing face masks. And that family over there really annoys me because of their position on schooling. And that family over there, don't even get me started about that family over there because I've read their tweets on Trump. You know, you just don't even get me started with them. If our relationships with one another are marked by disunity on superficial or secondary issues, what does it reveal? It reveals that we haven't been devoted to that which is most important. As the, er the early church has issues, man, we are going to talk about the issues the early church has. Those are going to come up, and they're going to have to deal with those. And there are divisions in the church even as we're in Acts chapter 2. But right now, as they focus on the appropriate things, their common confession of Christ, on biblical teaching, on holiness, on prayers, on participating in, in one another's lives, as they focus on those things, what happens? There's a unity on that which is most important, that transcends the areas of division. If your relationships are marked by division and not deep unity and the things that are most important, there's a problem. If you're not actively working to be aware of and to meet the needs of other believers, there's a problem. We're devoted to the wrong things. Number three, another, a third fruit we see is a continuous involvement in one another's lives. Look at verse 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, what's happening here is there's, there's eating and fellowshipping both in the temple and one another's homes. There's regular sustained times of fellowship. If we are living our lives in isolation from one another, again, there's a concern. We're not devoted to the right things. It's going to be easy as we come out of this time of, of confinement to, to say, you know what? I, I've really kind of enjoyed some aspects of my life in isolation. It's, it's easier to not have to be aware of the needs of others. It's easier to kind of do my things on my own and not be concerned with other people. That's a, a heart struggle that I'm sure I'm going to have at times. But here's what happens when a heart is directed rightly to the Lord. There's a sense of continual involvement 
in one another's lives, commitment to each other. And then finally, fourth thing we see and should see in our church as we're devoted to the right things is there's an evangelistic zeal that is demonstrated by gospel proclamation and response. There's an evangelistic zeal that the church wants other people to come into relationship with Christ. That, that zeal is demonstrated as they proclaim the gospel and respond to it. Verse 47, they were praising God. They're having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. As they focus on those things which are most important, there's a zeal and a desire to see other people to come into relationship with God that, that manifests itself as they proclaim the gospel. People are not going to come into relationship with God. Let me rephrase that. We are not going to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel to others if we don't have a desire to see others come into relationship with him. As they praise God and recognize the things that he's done, as they're focused on the right things, they proclaim the gospel, and the Lord adds to their numbers. What we are truly devoted to as a church is going to be revealed by the fruit that we produce. I want to encourage you now to begin to, to prepare your heart to participate in the Lord's Supper, to take the communion cup with me. Again, the, there are some extra, if you didn't get a communion cup, there's some extra by that, that second bench as well. And you don't have to be a member of Bethany Community Church. We do ask that you be a believer. We encourage you to be a member of a local assembly. As we partake of the Lord's Supper together this morning, what are we doing? We are fulfilling one of the basic things that the Lord says that we are be, to be devoted to. But it's not some mechanic, me, mechanicistic, mechanistic, mechanistic, mechanical thing that we do, right? Open, open top, take styrofoam, drink cup. That, that's, that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is we are proclaiming a thing that the church has proclaimed for 2,000 years. We are proclaiming our unity with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are proclaiming our, our unity through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with one another. What we're saying is that the people that are taking this with me are part of, of my church family, my, my church community, my community of faith. Even those who are not part of Bethany Community Church are part of our larger church family. We are proclaiming our commitment to continuing to walk in gospel truth and be devoted to gospel truths in our lives. That's what we're committing to to do together this morning. And so with, with that sense of reverence, with that sense of, of heart attitude, first of all, I just ask us to bow our heads and, and, and pray uh, for the Lord's grace and mercy this morning. First of all, Father, we do as a church confess our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess that we are not faithful as we ought to be in that confession. And so, Father, we first of all just beseech your grace, we beseech your mercy and your forgiveness for, for the areas in which we have, have failed you this morning. And, and Father, we'd even just take a moment here and confess some specific things in which we failed to you this morning. And Father, we confess... Our, our faith in your son and our, we, can, we affirm our unity with one another. And Father, we ask for your forgiveness in areas in which we have not been devoted to one another as we ought. We, we pray that you, through the work of your spirit, would enable us to have unity in our church. Father, help us to be mindful of the needs of others and through our common confession of faith in your son, Jesus, 
Help us to be willing to do all that we can to meet the spiritual, the physical, the emotional needs of one another. Help us to be faithful in that this morning, we pray. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And if you prepare to partake the bread with me, the first layer of your communion cup, the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, after giving thanks, broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you prepare to partake of the cup with me, the same way after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so we proclaim the death of our Lord Jesus Christ together as a community of faith until he returns. And Father, we pray that by your grace we be faithful to this confession. Father, we pray for our evangelistic outreach. We, we pray that as the early church saw, that as we're faithful and devoted to these things, the, the growth in our church would happen as, as people who do not know you would see the beauty of your son Jesus, respond in faith and place their faith in him. And we would we'd be able to, to see the joy of others who do not know you now worshiping you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.